A few weeks ago, I wrote an email to all of the people on the Copywriter Club list that included some crazy math about skill compounding. And because I know a lot of copywriters say they don't like math, I added the phrase, bear with me to my email as I ex explained how it worked. Only I wrote B-A-R-E instead of the correct form of the word B-E-A-R. And what's worse is that I realized my, mis my mistake and I meant to correct it, but before I could, I had to run out, pick up my daughter from school. And by the time I got back, I forgot, I hit send with my mistake in place. And fortunately, dozens of you caught my mistake and wrote back to point it out, which I really do appreciate, by the way. One of those kind correctors was our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, copywriter and etymologist, Sarah Rosinski. And when she responded to my mistake, she offered to come on the podcast and clarify this beastly language that we all speak and make it fun and memorable. So we're thrilled to have Sarah on the show today to talk about her business and some of the stickiest language problems that we all deal with as copywriters. But before we get to our interview, let me introduce my co-host for the week, copywriter Jen Walker who writes for educators and online experts. She helps them connect with their audiences. Welcome back to the podcast, Jen. Hey, Rob. Thank you so much. It's so awesome to be here. And I'm especially uh, pleased to be here for this episode, actually, um, thinking about uh, Sarah's uh, uh, fascination with grammar and, uh, and punctuation and so on, because I spent a good two decades of my life as an editor. Um, and so this is kind of my my bag as well. So I'm, I'm particularly pleased to be here. And uh, yeah. That's partly why I thought of you. you oh, know, really? You're thinking, oh, okay, hey, who cool. should we have come on and help? And I thought Jen would be perfect because she's kind of into this stuff too. So totally, totally. Yeah, this is this is going to be a great conversation. Um, and also at this point, I need to make sure that everybody knows this podcast episode is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. If you're looking for a mastermind slash coaching program to help you scale your business, check out copywriterthinktank.com for more information. You get one-on-one -on -one coaching, not just from Kira and myself, but we have coaches for mindset and for systems and processes and for visibility. Um, there's still time to get in and join us for our next in-person retreat in New Orleans in January. So go to copywriterthinktank.com for more information about that. Yes, absolutely. And please, may I say, I, I am an alumni of the Think Tank and I cannot sing its praises highly enough. Get in there. Um, you will learn so much. It's, it's just a hugely uplifting experience in every, in every sense. But OK, Rob, let's let's get to this interview with Sarah. I graduated from college and had an abundance of self-confidence. I thought employers would be beating my door down. That was not the case. And so I did what any advertiser should do, which is I put up posters that said I was available for hire. <laughs> I put up, you know, just eight and a half by 11 uh, posters all over Boston's Back Bay, which is where, you know, I was living in Boston, had the little tear-off phone numbers at the bottom. And it so happens that I thought I might be interested in advertising um, and had contemplated taking an ad club class. But when an ad agency called me, um, I was over the moon. They initially wanted me to hand deliver some 
baseballs. Uh, they were invitations for American Express, and they were kind of a cumbersome, you know, sized and shaped box. And they wondered if I could hand deliver these, you know, invitations. And that gig did not happen, but the head of the agency kept my little phone number. And when they needed somebody to fill in for the I'm going to say girl who was answering their phone, very young woman. Um, I, I was available and I was, absolutely, I'd love to answer your phones and type up your media buys and all the things that you need. And that was how I got my foot in the door at a Boston ad agency where I stayed for a decade. And that was the beginning of my career. There's more to it, but I don't want to uh, go on too long. <laughs> But let's stop there because this is amazing. I started my career very early in an agency as well. And there are so many stories of people who, in order to get the foot in the door, you know, join the mailroom and deliver letters for a year or two until they can catch the attention or whatever. The poster, they found like they literally found the poster mm -hmm. and that's how they found your name. And then you worked as a receptionist. Yes. And then like, what was the next step? Like, how did you get the attention of the person to say, hey, we need you to help on a project and not just answer the phones? I was fortunate that this agency was very small. So I was not overlooked at all. <laughs> I also was doing stand-up comedy at the time. And the man who hired me, Stan Bornstein, was intrigued by that. And he had a concept where he thought it'd be great if we had a stand-up comedian, you know, delivering jokes about our client, Store 24, which was a, a convenience store. So he, you know, he, he almost immediately was engaging me to think of, you know, writing and ideas. And when he learned that I wanted to take an ad club class, that was when he really said, oh, you want to be a writer? You want to write advertising? Don't pay them. I'll give you stuff to work on, you know, and, and he did. And he, he gave me assignments and I would very shyly put what I wrote on his chair when he wasn't there because I was too self-conscious to present anything. And anyway, he, he mentored me. He really did. I can remember, I can remember him telling me what was terrible and when I missed the point. And yeah, I, I got an on the job, you know, teaching opportunity. How long did it take you to go from answering the phones to getting that opportunity and moving over to a, a writing role? I was doing both at the same time for for a while. I can't tell you exactly how long it took before I found myself in an office. It was probably, honestly, a, it, it may have been a couple of years even. I'm not sure, maybe 18 months. It really was such a small agency that I was their IT department. Can you imagine when they got, when they got, I am not qualified, but I was the most qualified. So we, anyway, there was a lot of wearing of, you know, different hats and things. So it was not strange that someone writing some copy might be sitting at the front desk. Yeah. And then just to give some context, can you talk about how the roles progressed over that, that decade, especially for people who haven't had that agency experience? So let me think about how that unfolded. When they, when they hired someone else to sit at the front desk, that was clearly an inflection point of you are now a writer. I shared an office. Um, 
And I think I was the only writer besides Stan. And I do also remember um, probably three quarters of my way into that decade, I remember through my husband's coaching, telling Stan that I wanted to be a senior copywriter <laughs> because I think, you know, there was maybe another copywriter there. And it, and I laugh just because it was such a small shop that that didn't fundamentally matter. But I suppose it did because the next job I ended up getting at public supermarkets in their in-house department, they hired me as a senior copywriter. So as I say this out loud and I giggle about titles, they may actually matter. <laughs> so it may be worth pushing for that. It doesn't really matter in maybe the work that you do, but it totally matters in the way that people perceive you. So I agree. I, I think within reason, you know, somebody with three months of experience shouldn't be pushing for a senior copywriter, uh, you know, title. But, you know, if you've been doing it for a couple of years, for, for sure, I, I right. that seems smart. So will you talk a little bit about the creative process at the agency? You know, how did assignments work? And I know we're going back a little bit, but, you know, working with designers or working with other members of the team, what was that back in forth like? I remember learning it and being intimidated by it. I don't think I really understood. It was not intuitive to me. Again, because it was such a small agency, you had the opportunity to go and literally sit on the desk of somebody and say, you know, what might this thing look like? And and really work with a designer, which is, of course, the ideal. I, I can't stress that enough. I've been in other situations where you're completely divorced from a designer, you're not going to get as good of a product. I do specifically remember a campaign that we worked on. Uh, Stan came up with the concept. It was it ran in the Wall Street Journal. We did a lot of financial services advertising, and it included a Wall Street Journal type of illustration of a fund manager. Do you remember, you know, the little... Yeah, one of yeah, my yeah. goals in life is to have a stipple drawing of me done in the Wall Street Journal. So like, that's one of... There you go. Yeah, I don't have a lot of big goals, but that's one of them. I want a stipple drawing. You could just pay that illustrator. Okay. I know, I know. Yeah, I, I thought about it. So that was one component of the ad, but the rest of the ad was that it began with very large typography at the top that then tapered to become smaller. And therefore, it required a real hand-in-hand -hand collaboration on what is the first line of this copy going to be? Where is the line break going to happen? What is going to, do you understand what I'm saying? Like it, so... I remember being just jazzed about running back and forth with the designer and and kind of sweating it out. It was difficult, but it was very gratifying. I look back at my experience too, and you know, being sitting there with a designer in the office and bouncing the ideas back and forth is a very different existence than what most of us have as freelancers. We can work with designers, of course, and and have something similar, but you know, just that immediacy, the and how fun it was, and how you could be laughing about silly concepts, and the next minute you've got something that's just an amazing idea, or or it might take days or weeks to come up with things. But yeah, I. Again, just curious about your experience in, in a similar environment. I want to hear about some writing lessons from Stan. So, I mean, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be from Stan, but when lessons, one or two that you know maybe you've pulled into your book or, you know, you've pulled into your business today. I will tell you 
one lesson that really isn't about writing, but it is about being a copywriter. And it is a lesson I will never forget. (laughs) As I mentioned, I was very self-conscious about presenting my work. And Stan kind of gave me a hard time about it. He said, you're going to have to learn how to sell your ideas. I can't, I can't even relate to the young woman who was so scared about it. Now I, it's a walk in the park, but golly, it scared me. Well, so imagine my surprise when this happened. Stan had let me completely handle writing a media kit for Harvard Magazine. And in case anyone doesn't know what a media kit is, it is basically demonstrating to advertisers why they should place their advertising in Harvard Magazine, talking about the the demographic that the magazine reaches and so on. I did what was asked of me. I worked with a designer. Fine. The day came that Stan was presenting my creative <laughs> And my phone rang and it was Stan and he was in the conference room with the the client and he said, Sarah, I'd like you to come in here and present your work. And when I tell you that my heart was beating (laughs) so hard, I quite literally thought that people could either see it or hear it. I am not exaggerating. It was the scariest thing, (laughs) but he knew that that would get me over the hump and yeah, that was that was a real lesson. I'm not sure I'd recommend it, <laughs> but maybe it had to happen. Pull that Band-Aid off or whatever. But <laughs> Well, and maybe as a follow-up, what advice would you give to a writer that is in the early stages and does not have that confidence and really needs to present to their clients, but it's just it's terrified? What would help them? Something that I have really developed in my writing is this. Every single word and letter and punctuation mark that I put down, I have a reason for it. And I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I will break rules on purpose. I will choose redundancy sometimes if I, if I think it lends something to the effect. So I would just recommend that everyone, when you write, feel good about what you've written and justify it to yourself. And then when it comes time to present it, you can, you should be able, in theory, to confidently say, this is why I did it. I believe that your reader will be grabbed by these first three words because they're unconventional or whatever your, whatever your reasons are. Just understand why you've done it. And then you get to share it. You're sort of excited about what you did. And I think, I think a really good piece of advice is to always lean into your enthusiasm you know, anything that you're jazzed about. I remember one time telling an internal client at Publix about an idea I had that I thought was so neat. It was putting something in a clear tube for a mailer. You know, I just, I thought it was the cat's meow. And I remember I fell to my knees begging him, can we please do this? I just think it would be so great. And I guess I would just encourage you to have that kind of passion about your ideas. Nobody can fault you and you can, you know, hold your head high. Did the tube mailer go out? No, sir. <laughs> it did not. It did not. It was still a great idea. So many, yeah. Oh, I know what it was. Rob, I got to tell you, it. it was such a great idea. It was for single serve milk and they bottled this at their 
they have their own dairy. And I said, why not put the message in the milk bottle? And, and, you know, we have that capacity. Why don't we do that? And I maintain it was an outstanding concept, but there are sometimes disappointing logistical realities that we have to just accept. Yeah, that's that's the reality of having ideas. Lots, lots and lots of ideas. So, okay, so you mentioned you went from the advertising agency experience to an in-house experience at Publix. Tell us a little bit about the differences between those two groups, the kinds of assignments that you were taking and what that work looked like. So I will mention there was a, an interstitial uh, freelancing period, you know, when we had our, our daughter, um, but I transi- transitioned from that to um, getting this job offer at Publix in Florida. And here's why it was great. I will tell you my fears and I will tell you why I was wrong. <laughs> I was afraid that I'd be doing nothing but writing price and item ads, you know, chicken, 49 cents a pound or whatever. I was afraid that I would only be doing one thing all the time and that I would get sick of it. I was afraid that it would be corporate and um, there would be a dearth of creativity. None of those things turned out to be true. Um, And this is because, A, Publix has a dynamite uh, stable of talent. Like their in-house agency... I would put up against, you know, ad agencies. It's really, really good. So I I would say in any job, you want to work with good people. And I was working with dynamite designers. And to me, that's, that's what it takes. I want, I want good designers. Uh, Nothing is more of a bummer than bad designers, you know, like if, if you want them to elevate your work. And I had that opportunity. My concern about variety was quashed immediately because there's a difference between advertising baked goods and ice cream and uh, they have pharmacies. So I was doing, you know, pharmacy, pharmacy messaging. They had gas stations, convenience stores. I worked on that. They owned restaurants. I got to work on that. So anyway, there was a lot of variety. What other anxieties did I share with you that, I, that turned out not to be true? Oh, just the uh, the corporate vibe. Um, it, it, it is a corporation and there are some, you know, some considerations there. You're, I was not playing a lot of ping pong and skateboarding down the hall, but just good people, man, it just comes down to the people you work with. And, and they really hired carefully. They still hire carefully. And in, in that really, so I was there for 13 years. How did you make that decision to go from freelance into Publix? What did that look like? That was a daughter approaching kindergarten age and the, you know, number of questions, where do we send her? Do we, you know, have to go a zillion miles into an exurb to find a school that we feel good at? You know, that whole, anyway, it was time where I could go, I could start working full time again instead of um, freelancing with a babysitter. You know, that was the situation I had until she got to that age. So that was that. And so I basically um, put myself out on the internet and said I was available for hire and a headhunter um, from Florida contacted me. And that's, that's why I ended up, we moved down from Boston. And uh, the other anxiety I had about that job was I was really scared of <laughs> the bugs in Florida. <laughs> but anyway, I, 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 uh, overcame my fear of cockroaches and we moved down to Florida. Are the cockroaches that bad? There? Well, 
<laughs> they fly for one thing. <laughs> so okay. It wasn't it wasn't as bad as I thought, but I was genuinely and I will tell you this too, just quick side note. I my first day at Publix, I had I was given an Outlook account and there was there were some corporate emails, right? And one of the first emails I read was about the fact that the alligators on the corporate campus, it was mating season and that we needed to be careful and not get too close to them because they might be aggressive. And I just thought, where have I moved? That is amazing. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. That should be everybody's welcome email to all, you know, it's like, Hey, thanks for being here. Don't pet the alligators. So you're at Publix for a while. Uh, you're not at Publix now though. Tell us like, how has your career evolved since then? In 2016, I was living 80 miles away from the public's corporate headquarters. Long series of events led that to happen, but I was working for a manager who was enabling that to happen. I was working remotely quite a bit, and that was really not corporate policy. And a day came when there was a level set. And it became clear that I was going to have to commute 80 miles each way almost every day. And I said, you know, that's really unfortunate because I'm not going to do that. I'm just not, you know, so on very good terms, we had to part ways and I started freelancing again in 2016. And what was the rest of your question? I can tell you about my freelancing trajectory, but I don't want to assume that's basically it is like, how did you go from, from Publix to where you are today? Yes. So that's when, that, that's when my latest stint as a freelancer began. And that is the career I want for the rest of my life. I absolutely love it. Why is that? I mean, we, I know, cause we're, we're also in that camp, but it sounds like you had such positive, wonderful experiences at both the agency and in-house. So what brought you to the point today where you're like, this is it for me. What I am really enjoying as a freelancer is my just absolute autonomy. And I I just love making it up. It's like jazz, right? It's like I get to do whatever I want. And it's so thrilling to me to see what works. I love writing for myself, as you can probably tell, you know, if you've ever seen anything I write for myself. Um, I delight in... I don't know, being irreverent, using the words I want to, just trying new things. I have traveled, set up meetings with people in new cities because I can. I've gotten to speak. I, I'm, tra- I'm going to Florida on Saturday um, for a client there. I'm just having so much fun. So yeah, I love freelancing. And, and maybe, you know, maybe it's because I have so much experience and I have so many contacts that it's been a real delight for me. I imagine it's a little different when you're first starting out, but I just love it. That's interesting that you mentioned that because you had a previous freelancing period Mm -hmm. and now you're doing it again. Are there differences between when you did it the first time and when you're doing it now that you maybe make it more profitable or more enjoyable? What are you doing differently? I am operating at a much higher level of confidence than I was then. I was charging, you know, an hourly rate absolutely back then. You know, it was not super high. You know, work was more sporadic. I probably had to beat the bushes to find work a little bit more. At this point, I have just such a strong network. I have worked with literally hundreds of people. The work is kind of just coming in. So I enjoyed it back then as well, but 
I just think I have, I think I have a wider array of tools um, and contacts and I'm just, I'm just moving through the experience with more confidence, I think, than I was. What does the work look like today? Where are you focusing your time and energy? Interesting question, because every time someone asks me that, I find myself going, what am I working on now? <laughs> because it changes a lot, you know, and, and I thrive on that, to be honest. I am someone who much prefers to write shorter pieces than, I, I don't want your white papers. Like that is, I think you recently, you know, your last guest, I think, likes to write content and longer things. I will give her my work. That is not my bag. <laughs> so although I will say I have written some long form pieces lately on a topic that I love, which is typography. So I've been getting to, you know, do some writing for Monotype, which is, you know, just the company that probably any typography you've ever purchased or experienced, you know, has come through them. So that I like. I like writing about topics that I I'm interested in. I'm working on positioning. Uh, you know, this company that's flying me to Florida, I'm helping them with positioning, um, you know, figuring out branding, you know, your space in the market, you know, why do you exist? What do you, you know, all of that. I'm sure your listeners are familiar with that kind of thing. But um, so I'm getting to do some conceptual work, which is which is really fun. Um, when I get off of this call, I'm talking to a very B2B company. Um, it has to do with agriculture and um, baby formula. And, you know, it, it, I'll find out about it. I, I, will, I will write for any vertical that I don't find morally reprehensible pretty much, honestly. I, I, it's all interesting. I probably am not your choice for race cars, football. Yeah, there are some things that I am so not interested in that I would turn away, but usually I like to tackle just about anything. I'll take your football clients, Sarah. Okay. Just send, send them my way. That's fine. That would be a fun, fun one to write about. <laughs> so it feels like you don't have a niche. Correct. I don't. Kind of you know, really right for almost anybody. And you said clients are kind of coming to you. I was going to say, how are you finding clients? But it sounds like they're coming to you. How is that happening you know, how do you make sure that you've got work coming in all the time? I will tell you, and this is something else I find so much more fun than approaching someone and saying, hey, hey, do you need any work? Do you need me to do any work? That's a that's a one-on-one -on -one communication. It's a sales situation. Not my favorite. It's all I could if I had to, but here's what I'm doing instead. In 2016, when I went on my own, I thought LinkedIn is a community of business people, almost to a one. These are people who could benefit from a good writer. I want them to know about me. What on earth can I say to all of them? And, and that is when I thought a lot of people struggle with um, writing and certain, you know, pitfalls and problems. And why don't I, why don't I share, you know, why don't I kind of teach them. And I, I had done a little bit of this at Publix, you know, telling people why to use a serial comma or whatever. And so I thought, I think I used Canva initially and I, you know, made a little lesson about maybe telling, you know, the difference between the three spellings of two, you know, T-W-O, T-O, T-O-O. And uh, put that out on LinkedIn. And that was the beginning. Cut to now. I am putting out writing messages daily 
and I have a large audience of people who respond to these things, who know about me, who know other people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm advertising myself. I, there is just a large group of people out there who know about me. Many of them are in the ad industry. Some of them are in agencies. Some of them aren't. I'm not saying that I'm getting a call every day from a total stranger. I'm just saying that planting seeds regularly making a habit of it can just ensure that more people know about you, you're top of mind. And another thing that I do that I think is helpful, I put this out last night, actually, I create a, an events um, compilation. I, I started this for just the Boulder, Denver area near where I live of, of local events. I, you know, I, um, I, I like to partner with designers, as I've mentioned. Like, I really like good designers. So that's always been my, I've always wanted to really connect with those people. So I, I, I realized that there are events that appeal to both me and these designers. And so initially, I would just write these friendly emails. Hey, did you know about this creative mornings thing that's happening a week from Friday? You know, just thought you'd like to know. And then I kind of would send that same email to, you know, multiple people. And then I thought, why don't I get in a, a MailChimp account and like really do this thing. And so then, so now about every three or four weeks, I scour the interwebs. I find events that I, that interest me. And I also think would interest people I'd want to partner with. And I put this thing together. Um, and sure enough, like a lot of designers know who I am and they remember me and it has, it has turned into business for me. And that's a piece of advice Think about people who might want to partner with you. Think about if you're not a strategist, get to know strategists. If you're not a, um, you know, a designer, you know, partner with designers. Um, you know, maybe there's um, somebody who specializes in social media but can't do it. You know what I'm saying? You, you want to make alliances. I think I think that you that ends up um, you're getting a sales force essentially. Okay, Jen, let's break in here. I'm curious uh, what, if there's anything that stood out to you in the first half of this interview. Oh, so much, Rob, so much. Um, first of all, um, I was absolutely uh, fascinated and so impressed by Sarah's uh, very first, you know, when she, she first graduated and to, to get clients, to get work, to get herself out there, she literally made flyers, made posters and posted them around, you know, around her, her neighborhood uh, to, to drum up interest, to get people to, uh, to know who she was. And it, and it worked, it, it worked. It's uh, what I found really interesting, especially was that, um, that it, it kind of, it worked in a way that wasn't necessarily what she expected. For instance, she, she was picked up by, uh, um, by, by an ad agency who wanted her potentially to deliver some stuff. That gig didn't quite pan out that didn't happen in that way but that the person kept her name kept her contact details and then um got in contact with her later and and that blossomed into this whole other opportunity that she couldn't necessarily have have anticipated and i think this is just such a lesson in that for all of us in 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 taking risks and putting yourself out there in in ways that maybe are overbold who knows i i, I don't think that was overbold but ways that you um that you cannot necessarily predict how they're going to pan out for you and just trust that 
you know, stuff will come back. Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting to me too. Same thing, you know, we have, I think there's, you know, a handful of go-to ideas of how do you find clients in the world? You know, you, you cold pitch, uh, you reach out direct message, maybe in a Facebook group or on LinkedIn. And I just like the originality. Now, I, I know it was a while ago and, you know, maybe the flyer thing was you know, more common before the internet. I don't know, but there are, there, there are so many ways to get our names out there in front of people. And yeah, this was a little quirky and it happened to work in maybe a way that wasn't exactly what Sarah was expecting. But I think it's an invitation for all of us to be thinking a little bit differently. How do we get our name out there? How do we show up in places where the people we want to work with can find us? It might not be the, the you know, regular email pitch, although it probably will be. Like those things do work. There's a reason they're the, the standard go-tos, but there are other ways too. And it's worth considering being a little bit creative in our approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tied along with that, you know, the result of that flyer and the connection that she made in the agency is that Sarah got to work with a mentor. And, you know, I know this is something that we've talked quite a bit about on the podcast, but it's worth repeating over and over and over because the very best way to get good at what we do is not just to do the work, but to get good feedback, coaching, and have these opportunities to be able to grow. And it is so much easier to do that with a mentor who you're working with. And it it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who is there, you know, over your shoulder all of the time. You know, we can sort of have these unofficial mentorships where we get on people's lists and we learn from them when we watch their presentations or we see them speak in person or we read their books, their emails, whatever. But, you know, taking it the next step and actually creating that one-on-one -on -one relationship, joining their programs, that kind of thing can be a total game changer. And again, the way Sarah did it, you know, in, in joining an agency, something that I did myself and got great feedback on my work, um, a little different from what most freelancers do in joining programs, masterminds, that kind of thing. But there are ways to connect with people who can help us grow. And it's worth finding that person. If, if you're listening to this and you don't have a mentor now in your business, that should be one of the things you look for in 2023. Yes, absolutely. And I can totally vouch for that in terms of the uh, the, <laughs> the Copywriter Club think tank as well. Um, but one of the things that stuck out for me um, with uh, Sarah and her, her mentoring relationship with, with her boss, um, Stan, was uh, was how he not only inspired her and taught her, literally taught her, you know, the, the skills of copywriting, but also challenged her. Um, because one thing that, that she struggled with, Sarah, Sarah said, was presenting her work uh, and finding that confidence, overcoming that self-consciousness about her work um, enough to, to actually put it out there. Obviously, she was doing fantastic work, but nevertheless, she, she was holding herself back in that way. And Stan almost kind of, not exactly threw her under the bus, but made it, so, so, put her in a situation where she literally couldn't, couldn't refuse. She had to step up and... Uh, step into that room and present her own work to uh to the people that that, that needed it uh and it worked you know and 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 they were impressed by it but i i loved also that she said um coming out of that the the idea of uh of finding that confidence in 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 your work and and, and being able to present it one of the things that she said uh, which was so powerful for me was having that the way to kind of gain that confidence in your in your writing work in particular is to make sure that you can justify every single aspect of it so that when if you are challenged why have you chosen this word or why have you uh you know why why this part here and why that headline there and so on 
you you can come straight back with with your answer. You know why you've made those choices and um, and and can justify it. And and that not only gives you the confidence uh, to be able to present it, but obviously gives your client, your potential client, the the confidence that you know what you're doing. You know, none of this is is just by chance and just slapped onto the page. It's it, it's all very uh, very creative and and very intentional. Yeah, well thought out. And yeah, yeah, I, intentional is the exact right word. Yeah, I think that's one thing that a great mentor does is pushes you out of your comfort zone and helps you develop those skills that you need. And, and you know, like you were saying, what Stan did for Sarah and forcing her into this <laughs> presenting. And presenting is a really important skill for all of us, you know, and, and I'm not just talking about, you know, standing on stage and talking about the things we do, but presenting our work to our clients and being able to step through, like you were saying, and explain why every single word is there and each one has a job. And this is exactly why I chose this. And, it, you know, I, I use this particular word instead of that one, because it's, you know, maybe it generates better interest or it's, it's unique or it catches your attention or um, holds your attention. You know, like, there's so many different ways to do it. And that skill of presenting is critical, something that all of us need to develop more of. Absolutely. The other thing that came out of that actually for me was, was something that Sarah said about leaning into your enthusiasm. And I think that comes out of having that confidence that you know what you're doing, you know why you've, why you've crafted this copy in this, in this particular way. And then you can get really enthusiastic and passionate about it. And that just comes across so well to your audience, um, whether it is like in a pr presentation room, you know, at an ad agency or whether it's on a stage, people will pick up on your your passion for what it is that you do and your confidence in the choices you've made uh, and it makes such a difference. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about enthusiasm in the second half of this interview when we talk about what Sarah's doing on LinkedIn, because that's a big part of what what she's doing. I, I also want to touch uh, before we go back to the interview on just Sarah's experience working in-house. And um, this is something that's not all that common in the freelancing world, but it comes up you know, a bit in discussions where people who have been freelancing for a while have an opportunity to work in-house like Sarah did with, with Publix. And sometimes there's, uh, there's maybe um, an argument that we have with ourselves where we're thinking, well, if I, if I, not freelancing, I, I've failed in some way and to move in-house is kind of giving up on my dream. And I mean, Sarah did this for a decade. I, this is something I, you know, I've worked in-house as well, um, at a couple of different places and, um, probably close to a decade of, of my, uh, experience. And I'll say working in-house can be a phenomenal, uh, accelerator for your business because you have a constant flow of work, uh, you don't have to worry about, you know, finding clients and invoicing, all those kinds of things. And you can actually focus on doing the work. You can focus on copywriting and getting better at it. And if you've got somebody on your team, whether they're a peer or a mentor, you know, a boss that can actually help give you that feedback we were talking about earlier, it can like I said, accelerate your career in ways that working alone without those kinds of things, you know, doing the struggle and trying to figure it out on your own just doesn't do. And so um, if you're listening and thinking, oh, I, you know, I had this opportunity, but I don't want to give up on my dream. Of course, if your dream is to work for yourself, you know, stick to it. You can make it work. You, but moving in-house or joining an agency temporarily or even for the rest of your career is not a failure. It is a great way to be a good copywriter and to serve a particular client in a way that it's really hard to do as a freelancer. Absolutely. And as you say, it can be an accelerator. So it needn't be a permanent thing, a permanent move, but to, to spend a few years or uh, a, a period of time in that, that structure um, 
can can really help you to, as you say, to develop your your skills in copywriting itself without having to worry about finding those clients or or, or the other aspects of of working um, as a freelancer um, or as your own you know, as a business owner. Uh, one of the things that, that Sarah Sarah mentioned was she was a, she was slightly afraid of going into this this corporate uh, context because she felt that maybe that was very narrow. Uh, it would restrict her opportunities. The variety wouldn't be there. She'd be kind of like just churning out the same old, same old all the time. And as she found, that is not necessarily the case at all. Um, in her case, it absolutely wasn't the case. She found that she was able to um, to to experience all kinds of different, writing for all kinds of different products um, and the variety of that was some, was a, a context in which she could she could really thrive. And as she mentioned, it you know it really just comes down to at the end of the day the people that you work with. And she mentioned that that the publics that the, the the company she was working with they hire very carefully. And so you know the team that she was working with was was very well cre- uh, curated in that way. Um, and uh, that structure was one, as I say, in which she could she could really thrive. Um, so no, absolutely, I worked in house for 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 some years as well. Uh, and it was, it was a great grounding, a, a wonderful place to, to be able to learn and hone my skills. That was as a, as a book editor, actually, as it happened. Um, but nevertheless, same, same principle. And uh, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't give up that time for, for the world. And there's a lot to be said about that steady paycheck, the benefits, yes. all the things oh, that boy. come from working in house. <laughs> you know, I, I think sometimes the argument is, you know, it's, um, it's maybe more steady, you know, the, the work is more steady. That's not a, uh, Obviously, that's not always true, uh, you know, because of layoffs and, you know, economics that focus on business. Sometimes, you know, placing your trust in an employer like that is uh, just as risky as running your own business as a freelancer. But the risks are different. And for some people, they're a better fit or at different times in your career, they may be a better fit. You know, if if you've got uh, certain needs in your family, uh, your lifestyle, whatever that, you know, benefits may help out during, you know, this three or four year period that you, maybe you can risk some things later on or earlier on whenever um, it's, uh, it's still a viable path for a great career. Absolutely. No, I second that for sure. All right. So let's get back to the interview with Sarah and find out how she secured an out of state project. I want to go back just because we skipped over this. You mentioned flying to Florida to focus on this positioning for this client. That seems like a really great project where they're flying you, they're paying you to be there. It seems kind of like a dream project for many writers who want to get more into positioning. Can you just talk about like how how you would package something like that that is larger in person, what that looks like, what you do during that session? I would like to tell you that I made this happen. <laughs> I would like to tell you that I proposed it and it was all because of my, I'm just, I've joked with friends that this is probably the pinnacle of my career and it's going to be all downhill after this. <laughs> this is a situation where I am fortunate. The, the person who hired me really values what I can do. Um, I helped this client win a very big account and they really appreciate my creativity. Like I'm just telling you what they've told me. I'm not, I'm still a little just incredulous that this is happening, but, but this particular client is just, um, they're smart about bringing in people who can help them to grow 
and they're hiring a firm and they're hiring me and we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to work out some ideas together. So to answer your question, Kira, about what you might do, you could create a product where you, um, where you say, we're going to have, um, a brain tornado or, you know, you, you can come up with your name. We're going to sit in a room. You, you could be really clever. You could say it's going to be for 97 minutes. <laughs> you know, you could say that that's the amount of time it's going to be constrained. And we are going to come up with at least a dozen, you know, ways you, whatever you want, whatever your deliverable might be, you could absolutely productize something. You could even, if you really wanted to travel, you could say, if you pay for half of my expenses, you know, I will be there. And I promise you that when we are done, you, you will come away with a, a touchstone document that you can use for all of your communications moving forward, whatever. You could absolutely do that. You, you would have to sell it, but, um, I think that'd be fun. See, that's that's an example of um, being autonomous, coming up with an idea, and then presenting it. And, and maybe you have a beta test. Maybe you say, because you're the first, you know, person signing on, I'll pay for three quarters of my travel expenses. But I want to show you what I can do. And for you, it's not ninety minutes for you. Is is it a day? How much time? No. This will okay. be a day. This is a day. And this is, um, I'm just being brought into, I am not spearheading this. I am, I am, I have been brought in as someone they consider valuable. So, but I will learn from this. Yeah. I will learn from, you know, that clearly this consultancy has an approach and I, I will be taking mental notes. <laughs> and are you thinking about it in terms of your day rate? Like when you thought about yeah. your pricing, was it like, well, this is my day rate. That's what it is. They'll yes. cover some of the expenses. I did a day rate. I, um, I, I checked with a couple of copywriters I know, and actually in the designer, I know I said, what would you charge for something like this? They wisely shared this advice. Uh, don't just use your regular day rate, bump it up because you're having to travel, you're having, you, and more is going to happen than you even realize. So you need to pad that. Um, that was good advice. And the other piece of advice uh, that, that my designer friend told me was, he says, I don't, I won't do the dinners. <laughs> he said, like, I, I've, you know, when I f fly for um, things like this, I'm clear that I need my you know, alone time or whatever. I find that taxing. That was, it was just something I hadn't even thought about was the the dinner thing. Now, me, I love a dinner. <laughs> so I didn't, you know, that, that isn't a problem for me. But um, I guess, I guess the moral there is uh, check in with your network, right? About what they've done and you know, mistakes they've made. The more copywriters you know, the happier you will be. I firmly believe that. We sign on for that as well. You know, so I'm thinking about this. It, it really does have to be more than a day rate because you, you basically lose a day flying there. You lose a day coming home. In some ways, it's three days that, that you're getting, even if they're covering travel expenses and all of that. So there's a lot to think through there as you, to make it work. Yeah. Okay. So Sarah, I'm really intrigued by what you do on LinkedIn. I've seen a lot of the stuff that, that you're doing there. You don't just post content. Like, it, it, you know, it would be really easy to say, oh, you know, Sarah just, she just writes every day or whatever. Like your content is a step above what most people post. Your, your headlines are really engaging, curiosity inducing. Your content feels different than, than the regular. So will you just 
tell us, I mean, it, maybe it feels natural to you and your approach, but you know, when you sit down and think, okay, I found a couple of ideas, the grocer's comma, or, you know, some, which you know, when I saw that, I'm like, what in the heck is the grocer's comma, right? Like you need to, you need to figure that out. How do you approach your content when you sit down and write it and, and think through, you know, what am I going to be posting every day or every week? And this is selfish for us because Rob and I are trying to improve our LinkedIn game. Okay. Well, and there's uh, like improve, like just doing it would be an improvement for the most part. But maybe I'm being too glib, but it's never a chore for me because it really interests me. Like it, it's a topic that I love. So for anyone who doesn't know, I, I continue to just write about writing. So I love all of these weird idiosyncrasies about our language, why we pronounce things differently. I, you know, I, I'm always checking etymology and so so that interest is there so to both of you i would say you know could we share nightmare stories on a regular basis or funny stories or um you know just sort of just think about how did you know i wrote about my nightmare i wrote about that today how did oh, you didn't know, know that i yeah. didn't know <laughs> um you know just i guess think really hard about what would be fun for you maybe you don't want to be on video, but maybe you'd want to make a recording and, you know, maybe you'd want to have a funny picture that's paired with your, there, there are no rules with social media, really. I say, I say, do what you like. Um, so anyway, I love, I love posting and I'm probably, uh, some kind of, I'm sure there's a pathology behind it that I feel like the world needs to listen to me. I'm probably an exhibitionist or, you know, some kind of freak. I don't know, but I love it. I love the LinkedIn community. They tend to be far kinder and saner and um, more interesting and knowledgeable than any other, I think, social media platform. I have made genuine friends. Yeah, my content though, what do I do? I will tell you this, initially I began with really common mistakes that you just see all the time, you know, when every day should be a solid word and when it should be two words, you know, I just, I would see it all the time. And so I really wanted to write about it, but it didn't take too long before people started making requests. And I have a list of probably hundreds of ideas. Like I feel guilty basically that I don't even get around to them. Um, so many, you know, so many great topics and some of them are difficult. So some of them are daunting to me because, you know, you can see behind me, um, those of you not watching, there's a bookshelf with just a lot of books about spelling and grammar and, um, you know, Anyway, some of it is challenging. But yeah, so I have this list. And yesterday, I don't know if you saw, I, I, um, I did this yesterday. I wrote about the difference between the word tortuous and torturous. They look so similar. The first word that I said describes a twisty, turny path, right? Or twi something twisty and turny. And I thought, and this is another thing that's been really fun in my career. I, ha I have invested in Adobe Suite and I have invested in Skillshare and I have been learning Adobe Suite, particularly Illustrator. And so I know just enough that I knew I could make the text of my writing, I could make it actually be tortuous. I could make it have be on a meandering, difficult path. And I thought, that's so fun, you know? And so I got to spend time yesterday, you know, using 
Adobe to make this crazy twisty turny thing. And then I had to make the, I had to make the text the right length. And I had to make sure that the important words were whatever. To me, uh, combining design and writing that puzzle, it's more fun than any Rubik's cube. And so it was not a chore. It was a blast. And I put it out there and then I get that positive reinforcement, which again is probably a pathology <laughs> that I need people singing my accolades. But um, a lot of people liked it. You know, I, I probably had over a thousand impressions of that thing. Anyway, uh, what's not to like? Well, yeah. And listening to that, you know, I think the pushback we hear often, you know, which is often an excuse is, well, I don't have time to even sit down and brainstorm a list or create that content or go into Illustrator and create that visual because I'm mm-hmm. so bogged down with client work. And that's a struggle of a earlier, newer copywriter. Mm-hmm. But I guess, how do you make it work? You're also talking about these amazing clients. You're flying to Florida. Like you have a busy client load and you're able to have fun creating content that really resonates with your audience and with you. So how do you make it work? Here is a good piece of advice. I find nothing so liberating as restriction. That may seem like a paradox, but it is so true. You will notice that all of my little lessons are in a 1080 by 1080 pixel square, right? I I can't write anything longer than that. It has to fit in there. And that means I have to, it forces me to make some decisions. Similarly, people who say they have no time, why not benefit from that? And why not, and they're not alone, right? We can all relate to not having enough time. So what if you said, I'm going to dedicate 27 minutes a day to social media. I'm going to make this promise to myself and to the world. So you make the, brand it, you know, this is my 27 minute product. I think everybody would get a kick out of it. And it's almost like the forced journals I had to to write as a kid in first grade. Like you have to write something down. Sometimes it was dumb. Sometimes it was, you know, my dog flew to the moon or, you know, whatever. I had to write something down. So I think that restriction would be liberating. And I think that would be fun. You like uh, comics? Why not randomly pick a comic every day and then write a commentary about it? Who knows? Collect terrible advertising and spend 27 minutes telling the world why you think it's bad. You like pets? Write about pets every day. Do do a little research about, you know, hedgehogs, whatever. There is no limit to what you can do. And um, I, I, I think it's kind of fun to share struggles with the LinkedIn community, right? It's, they have trouble too. So I think, I think it could be fun. I'm looking forward to Kira's next post about hedgehogs. This uh, <laughs> would be fun. It'd be really fun. Okay. So we're going to run out of time before we get to it. And I definitely want to talk about your book, Sarah, because your book is amazing. I mentioned it on LinkedIn long ago when, when I got my copy that I think it belongs on the shelf next to Strunk and White. It's that useful. It's fun. It's like your LinkedIn posts. Tell us about the process of writing it, what it is, and maybe we can 
you know, talk about why everybody really should have a copy of it on their desk. Yes, that's, that's great. Thank you, first of all. The book is called Unflubify Your Writing. It's a great I, title, by the way. Again, you're so good at titles. Thank you. I would like to tell you it was easy to come up with, and yet it was not. But Unflubify Your Writing, Bite-Sized Lessons to Improve Your Spelling, Punctuation, and Grammar. And there is a serial comma right in the title. It is actually a compilation of LinkedIn posts. That's how it began. What happened was so many people would say, have you ever done such and such a topic? And then I would go and I would find the lesson that I've done and I would share it with them. And it happened over and over. And I thought what, these, what everyone would benefit from is an index, right? So that they could just look it up when they need it. And then I learned about... <laughs> indexers are a are a profession that they exist and i partnered with one i put this book together i um filled a bunch of holes you know important topics that i thought needed um tackling and um right and then i i created this book created wrote whatever <laughs> put it out it was during the pandemic did that help maybe yeah there's a handy dandy index in the back so you can look up topics like uh it's versus it's with and without an apostrophe or that may be too basic for most copywriters, but uh, things like compound possession. If you talk about my and Madonna's shared roller skating hobby, you know. Oh, yeah. I need, I need this book. <laughs> Desperately need it. I'm ordering it. I Can you share maybe one or two other of the lessons or shares that you feel like are next level for the copywriters listening? Maybe a few of your favorites. I'll tell you, well, so so in here are a few um, interesting stories about etymology. You know, some of this is just interesting, but for, for copywriters, there are mistakes like here's one, particularly in the corporate world, people will say, they will use the word myself when they don't need to. They will say, uh, please deliver this document to uh, Stacy and myself. Don't do that. That's not correct. And uh, that is an example of something called hypercorrection, which you will find in Wikipedia. It's well-intentioned. People are trying to sound educated, <laughs> but they go a little too far and it's just not necessary. Similarly, the word whom gets whipped out when it's not needed. Another one that is just, I hear, I've heard it today on a podcast. I hear it every day and I don't hate you if you do this and I don't judge you if you do this. I feel but, like I've done it already. <laughs> well, it's, I don't think so. It's it's very, very common, um, probably more so in speaking than in writing. But because our, our mothers, I think, uh, particularly would correct us and say, Warren and I went to the park, not me and Warren. So we think that it always has to be Warren and I, but that's only when it's the subject of a sentence, not when it's an object. So you shouldn't say, the policeman arrested Warren and I. That is not right, because if you take Warren out of the sentence, you wouldn't say the police arrested I. So I hear that error all the time by erudite, by authors. So that's in the book. I see something very similar. I think it's the same problem, but people who use the predicate pronoun in the subject. So her and I went to the store. That one 
and I see very high level copywriters do this all the time and it drives me nuts. And I, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, I know language changes over time, mm-hmm. but if I could just die to prevent <laughs> that one change from happening, I think I would take, I'd take that offer. Like it is, I don't it, hear that one so much, but yeah, now I'll, now I'll be attuned to it. Maybe that leads us to, you know, giving writers who are listening, who maybe really do need this book and they don't have this, this knowledge base is skillable. They know it's an area they need to improve. Were you always just naturally gifted in this area where you learned at a young age, you nailed it when you were just starting at the agency. Can you give people hope if it's, if they are making those mistakes and, you know, maybe even listening to that, they're like, I shouldn't even be a copywriter. I'm making that mistake Rob just mentioned. Kira, Kira, I am still learning. I never have described myself as perfect or an expert. I I learn every flippin' day. I can't tell you how often I'm looking things up constantly, but you can too. Like we all can, we can all learn and it's fun to learn. Um, I will tell you that when I began at Publix, I was in my thirties and I remember going, oh, complimentary can be spelled two different ways. didn't know. Why would I know? You know, I just, it never, I did not know that. And you, you need to know how to spell complimentary with, with an I, uh, for that free deal, that complimentary deal. Complement with an E has to do with completion. So I will say this about my book. I do think it's helpful in terms of mnemonics, uh, memory tricks, like how you can, um, remember things like the words discrete and discrete. It can be E-E-T or E-T-E. I think of, and I need this trick, I think of the two E's on either side of the T that are being kept discrete from one another. I have to do that. So you'll find a lot of tricks in my book like that. Yeah, it's good for that stuff. I, I have to look up complimentary. Every time I write it, I'm like, wait a minute, is this the I or the E? Oh. I can remember stationary and stationary. That one, a lot. I see a lot. I'm like, nope, that's, you know, and there's sure. so many homonyms like that that are, ex- I mean, exact same words. I have to do it with effect. Effect gets me every time. Yes, but I, have a, I have a trick in there. I, okay. And I thought <laughs> I sent you a book, Kira. I'm so sorry. I could have, maybe I had the wrong address. I moved, so maybe you did. I Okay. Okay. I can make it happen. As we're coming to the end of our discussion, I just, I want to emphasize, like, I think this, it's not just a great book about grammar, spelling, whatever. It's clever. It's fun to read, which Strunk and White, in my opinion, is not fun to read. It, you know, we all... <laughs> We got assigned that in freshman English in college or whatever, and it's a little boring. It's a little, you know, in the weeds or whatever. And you've made it very fun with the illustrations, with the approach. And so, again, I think it's a book that everybody should have. We'll link to it in the show notes if anybody wants to grab a copy so that, you know, they can get their own copy. But it's short. It's fun. It doesn't have to be read at all in one sitting, but just kind of fun to thumb through. Thank you. I'm maybe going on a little bit more than than I need to, but it's like I said, I really, really like this book. Thank you very much. My last question, because I know we're at time, is you're such a creative person and you have such great energy that you just bring to this conversation. I'm wondering, you know, how do you continue to kind of channel that creativity in your life outside of the work? Because I think you, it sounds like you do a great job of bringing that creativity into LinkedIn and the content you're creating so it serves your business, serves your clients. But what else do you do outside of work that keeps that creativity running? 
I don't have a problem with creativity going away. I do love to channel it for work. I think one thing that I do, I, I, I'm not a crafter or, and I don't write novels or anything like that. The one thing that's probably not work-related that I've been doing lately is I'm involved with, um, it's called the Book Arts League. And so I go there and we talk about typography. <laughs> and, um, you know, the last time we met, I got to do some typography typography designing and stuff like that. I, I'm never going to be a type designer, but um, I do, I really enjoy um, playing with typography and I, I'm really having fun learning Illustrator. Like it is such a deep, um, such a deep program and that's, oh, that's so fun. You know, I, I love, I love playing with it. If I, if I had 20 free hours, uh, really free, I would just play with Illustrator. It's a blast. Yeah, Illustrator is a fun tool. A little spendy sometimes compared to some other tools. But, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm I keep trying to justify it. <laughs> so it's crazy. Adobe makes their money, uh, even from writers. Sarah, this has been a great conversation. If people want to find you, I know we've mentioned already you're big on LinkedIn, but where should they go? Where can they connect with you and learn more about you? My website, you can find that at sarahrosinski.com or, or shinyredcopy.com. I am all over LinkedIn. Um, I'm on Instagram. Yeah, I'm, I, love, I love meeting other copywriters for sure. So please, please reach out. You'll probably be inundated with a bunch of grammar questions from listeners. Like, <laughs> sure. Am I doing this one right? And yeah, maybe I'll you'll have fun for the next three or four months on LinkedIn. I would be happy to. Right, thank you, Sarah. This has been really fun. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That's the end of our interview with Sarah Rosinski. Before we wrap, Jen, let's go back and let, let's talk about a couple of these other things. What else stood out to you, you know, about this, most of the stuff we've been talking in the second half of the interview? There was so much, again, uh, so much packed into this interview. It's absolutely astonishing. But I loved, I love, love, love what Sarah has been doing on uh, on LinkedIn um, with her, her posts around about, well, a topic that is obviously very, very close to her heart and that she loves, she is fascinated by, she is passionate about, which is um, etymology and grammar and punctuation. Um, and it, what stood out to me, actually, what it reminded me of that, um, there's an exercise one can do with a kind of Venn diagram, isn't there, where you kind of find that beautiful sweet spot, that overlap between uh, things that you're good at, uh, things that you love to do, um, and things that the world needs and will pay for, you know, will reward you for. And in that sweet spot, Sarah has, has definitely found her niche, her kind of, uh, her thing that will, 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 uh, light her, her life up and bring in all those clients too, which is this topic, um, of, of helping people with, uh, with language issues, with, with, uh, grammar and, and so on. And I, I think it is genius because, this is something that even people who write for a living, such as ourselves, we all have this little kind of um, Achilles heel about. We all feel uh, a little bit on the back foot, a little bit kind of, oh, am I doing this right? Am I getting this wrong? Uh, does Is there an apostrophe here? Should I use the, the Oxford comma? And so on. Uh, and we have a little bit of um, an insecurity about that that we would love to know and be, be sure, more sure about, uh, more confident about. As I say, even people who write for a living, such as ourselves. Um, so, and 
Sarah has, has put this stuff out there because she's fascinated by it. She didn't necessarily start this because she felt like the world needs this. She did it because she was fascinated by it and it, it was something that she could uh, she could write with from her heart and with a passion. And then she was finding that it was actually something that people really, really wanted. And she was getting all kinds of amazing feedback and then getting requests for particular um, particular lessons on, on topics that people were struggling with. And so it has blossomed and grown. And that has formed, created this, this audience basically for her um, that, that is bringing in the work without her having to kind of go out and chase it at all uh, at this point. So I, I think it's absolute genius. And that, um, I think we can all learn something from that to find those topics that, um, that, that, that are really close to our heart. Because I think, as Sarah said, that is the, that's the key point. Yes, if it is also something that the world needs, that's obviously um, a wonderful bonus in terms of bringing in work for your business. But the thing is, unless you're fascinated by it in the first place, you won't be able to keep consistent with it and, and put out that great, that great content. So you have to kind of start with that, I would say. Yeah, it definitely starts with her enthusiasm for it. Uh, you know, there's some built-in things that are really working well for her as she puts this content out. Uh, you know, obviously we are attracted to it as writers. Uh, you know, I talked about my mess up in the intro and we talked about some of our favorite, you know, grammar mix-ups as we were chatting with Sarah. Um, but, you know, even today, like I will, I know how to use the different forms of your and your, but my, as my fingers are typing out, you know, I'm cranking through, I'll, I'll mistype them. And it's not because I don't know them. It's just my fingers are doing not what's going on in my brain. Right. And, um, so I'm clearly interested in it, but there's also this group of people who are not writers who know they're not good at this stuff. And so they're interested in it because they want to get it right too. And it, it, like you described, it's developed into this wonderful thing that then became her book, which then becomes an entire another level of reaching out to clients. And so I think our challenges as copywriters, as content writers, as marketers who are trying to get out in front of the right people is what is the thing for us that is that we're enthusiastic about that we can write about hundreds of times that we can you know have these um interesting nuggets that we can share with the world and it doesn't have to be etymology obviously it, it might be uh, building funnels it might be writing sales pages it could be you know email it, it could be grammar you know or maybe it's something completely totally unrelated to what we're doing in work but what is that thing that's exciting us where we can connect with people as well and and how does that grow from you know regular posts on a place like linkedin or facebook or, or wherever into something else and for for most of us it might not be a book maybe it's a book maybe it's a youtube show maybe it's a podcast maybe it's a workshop maybe it's a speech you know delivered on stage somewhere maybe you know we get together a bunch of experts and and you know we're having some kind of a summit or some kind of a other event like there are so many ways to do this and i you know, Sarah's one example, but I think we should take those principles that she's using and say, okay, how can we do what Sarah's doing in a way that impacts our businesses? Absolutely. And um, and once again, it's, it's, yes, it's so important to start with that enthusiasm and not necessarily to be thinking about, oh, this will lead to such and such, because you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to, who's going to be lit up by what it is that you're putting out there. Who's going to uh, approach you and say, hey, this needs to be a book, or I want you to come and speak on my stage. You know, these opportunities will unfold uh, in unpredictable ways. But the, but the, in order to invite them in, in order to allow them to to happen at all, you, you've got to start, and you've got to um, 
start with what you love, basically. Um, I, I think that's that's so so important. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I would combine that too. Uh, you know, so it's. I mean, we're, obviously, we're focused on the enthusiasm and the thing that you love, but there's a second part of this, which is consistency. Oh now, yes. If, you know, if Sarah only posts once a month or you know when she feels it or you know when she, a, a client reaches out and say wait what is the difference between it's it's uh or what is the grocer's comma that we we briefly mentioned um then it's not gonna it's not gonna have that same staying power but the fact that she shows up day after day three times a week uh you know or uh, again you know applying it to other things you know when podcasters are successful because they show up the same time every single day or someone like seth godin who's literally written a blog post every single day for something like 18 19 years right that kind of consistency is the thing that takes you from enthusiasm and interesting to regular success Absolutely, uh, totally, and and what I loved um, Sarah, that Sarah said about this, uh, in terms of it, we all struggle with that consistency, don't we? Because we say to ourselves, "Well, I don't have time. I, I don't have time to uh, to create all this amazing content." However enthusiastic about it, I am. I just, I, I mean, I struggle with this myself very much. Uh, but I loved what Sarah said about the idea of uh, restriction being so liberating. So use that take that that the fact that you don't have time and use that as as a as a creative restriction uh, give yourself and sarah said 27 minutes it could be 15 it could be you know 38 whatever but just to restrict yourself in that way and say okay i have this time uh, this is all the time i have let's see what happens and just do that in a consistent way every single day whatever uh, whatever level of consistency you, you commit to but it is that sense of commitment that's so important um and see what happens out of that i i, I am definitely sarah i hope this is okay i hope this was your intention i'm gonna steal that one <laughs> because I'm, i uh i think that's gonna be super helpful for me oh by the way before we move on i'm just thinking about the mistakes that we all make as as writers even though we're in this profession and we should know better in inverted commas. I think earlier I said something like I'm an alumni of the think tank. Um, I have a very strong feeling that's grammatically incorrect. And Alumnus, it be alumni. alumni, this might be Sarah's next. Sarah, uh, help me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I will have to go and check that out. But um, apologies if I've offended anyone with my terrible love. I'm sure we'll get an email uh, I, from somebody I'm sure who, we'll. yeah, who will correct it. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I also uh, I think we should touch on just this idea that Sarah was talking about channeling creativity in life outside of work. And so often we put so much of ourselves into work. You know, we will sometimes sit at our desk for 50 or 60 hours or even if we're not writing for clients that much, you know, we're we're studying, we're thinking, um, we're wasting kind of social media, whatever, you know, whatever it is. But this is something and I think of yours, Jen, that's a superpower is you're really good at channeling your creativity outside of work. You're an actor. You have been uh, a yoga instructor, I think, or, or I mean, you, you've you done a lot of these things outside of work, um, not to mention family and and the, the amazing outdoor resources you have where you live, all of that kind of stuff. Let's talk a little bit about this. Yes, it's true. It is. And it's so easy, isn't it? Especially when you, you're you a business owner, you have your own business to, to feel like you don't have time to go to an art gallery or just take a walk in nature or um, or write a poem, you know, whatever, uh, because you need to be focusing on getting those clients in and doing that 
that client work and all the other things that we we know we need to do for our businesses. But what is 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 so apparent to me um, is the importance of those outside channels of creativity they are the work they are part of the work for sure because until you can give yourself that that creative space um to just be with yourself uh maybe it's meditation um whatever it might be for you and i certainly recommend a variety of things uh because when you try out these all these new experiences and put your 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 brain into these these other contexts that's when the magic happens, really. You can't, again, you can't predict it. I'm all about unpredictability. <laughs> I'm all about allowing the magic to happen. So you don't necessarily go, as I say, to the art gallery with a with a, an intention of having a brilliant idea for a blog post you're going to write or something like that. But when you're there, who knows what will come to you? Who knows how the pictures you're looking at or the, the sculptures will affect you? And just to allow that that magic to seep into you and it may not be immediate it may not be that you'll come out of there as I say with some sparkling new idea but later maybe it'll come to you or um in connection with some other uh maybe you have a dream or something and an image from the dream and kind of somehow connects with something you saw when you're out in nature one day and and then it, it comes together in some some beautiful new form, new idea that will feed into your into your writing, whether that's client work or your own writing or uh, or any other aspect of your business. This sort of sense of um, of different channels, different levels, different facets of your life coming together uh, to to boost your just the magic of you being in the world, I, I think is so important. It really is. We never know where the connection is going to happen. And I think this is why, you know, writers like Gary Halbert, you know, instead of handing their protégés, you know, copies of Breakthrough Advertising, they would hand them copies of uh, novels, you know, spy stories. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, you know, the magic of of storytelling is learned, you know, by reading a Travis McGee novel, not necessarily something by Eugene Schwartz. Now, that doesn't mean you don't also want to read Eugene Schwartz, but, you know, watching a, a documentary about food preparation or, you know, being on stage like you do in a play with other professional actors, those kinds of activities, uh, I think, impact are thinking in ways that we can't even predict, like you were saying, and the magic just happens at, you know, and then, yeah, you're stuck with an idea, or maybe it's even days later, you're like, oh, that experience relates to this thing that I need to write, and the ideas all come out of it. And so um, this might be a really good thing to end on, uh, just really emphasizing how much more, maybe in the coming year, we should be focusing on being creative and getting that creative shot into our life in some way. I love that. I love that. Because all of these aspects of our experience of being human beings on this planet right now, uh, they are all part of life. And, you know, our business is all about being human as well. Whatever your business is specifically niched into, we are all humans. We are all here on this planet together. And it, it's all good. You know, it's all grist to the mill. It's all material for us to work with and to help connect uh, more to ourselves and to each other and to our planet and to the universe and however you want to think about your spiritual presence here. Uh, it's all part of it. So yeah, I think that's a wonderful uh, intention for the new year. Absolutely.
Well, well said. So we want to thank Sarah Rosinski for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to connect with Sarah, the best place to do that is probably LinkedIn, where she posts regularly about grammar and language. You can also find her at shinyredcopy.com and be sure to check out her book. I know I said a lot about it during the interview. I love this book. It's just so much fun. Unflubify Your Writing, which we will link to in the show notes. And if you want to listen to more conversations like this one, check out, well, this is going way, way back, but episode four with Brian Lenny, all about freelancing versus working in-house. Episode six with Luke Trazer about working for an agency. And episode, this one's a little bit more recent, episode 282 about working with billion dollar clients with Jason Picar. He's also an agency copywriter. There's some really good episodes, some uh, good information. And finally, the Copywriter Think Tank is currently open for new members. Go to copywriterthinktank.com or shoot us an email at help at thecopywriterclub.com and we'll tell you more about this game-changing mastermind. Finally, Second, finally, the real finally, I want to thank Jen Walker for joining me to add a few thoughts to what Sarah shared. Be sure to check out episode 188 of this podcast, which featured Jen. Uh, it's a really good one. She talked about going from stage to the page. I believe that's what we called that episode, all about her frameworks and what she was doing in her business a year or two ago. And Jen, maybe we need to have you come back at some point to talk about what's going on in your business today. Oh my goodness, I would be so honored. Yes, because it has evolved. We all evolve, don't we? Um, so yeah, that, that would be an honor, really. <laughs> and that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Bryce. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave your review of the show. Thanks for listening. and We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole. So...